Welcome to Omurda Black, where real rhetoric is spoken and decolonized bread is broken. You are here to learn to think for yourself rather than be told what to think. By which I mean I offer compelling conversations and a Black King perspective on issues and stories and news and culture. Especially the culture. So thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me on this inaugural episode of Omerta Black, which I dedicate to my mother. I know she's listening along with the ancestors and I hope that like you, she enjoys. I am Metsabaku Akunlegbaharu Sarapata Kufu Olorun of the Bamilike Kingdom of Cameroon. I go by Metsa. On this first episode, you will learn of a dirty little secret from the memory hole of history. I'll give you my jam of the week. I'll bring in a special guest to give us a little something something from the grapevine. I'll introduce you to a mentally stimulating segment I call the sapiosexual session. Gotta stay tuned to figure that out. And in short, I will unpack the main thing. The reason we here in the first place. The iconic 1971 conversation between James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni. But first, smoke break. What's happening, y'all? Mansabaku here. Real quick. Patreon.com backslash Mansabaku. That's Patreon.com backslash M-A-N-S-A-B-A-K-H-U. That's where you can get exclusive content from me, long form lessons and lectures, things that we really dive into, things that blow your mind, things that open your first eye. IG, Facebook at Mansabaku, Vero, that's V-E-R-O dot C-O backslash Mansabaku. Steel Dog Boot Camp. Catch it on YouTube every Monday at 1245. Oh, Murder Black, the podcast, that's for your mind and your soul, your physical, your body, that's still dog boot camp. Again, Mondays, 1245, YouTube. Like, share, subscribe. I want to begin the show with a segment I call That's It, That's All. Shout out to my sister, Ladybug. I love you more than you'll ever know, girl. But really quickly. I want to run through one or two funny or random things going on outside. I feel really strongly about these things. My position is non-negotiable. So yes, that's it. That's all. What we're not going to do is let these women prematurely wear these snow boots outside and it's still 85 degrees. Yes, it's chilly in the morning, but by brunch, your ass sweaty as hell from the knees down. You dress like it's a blizzard outside. Come on now. And what we not going to do is not say anything to these dudes still running around here with dress shoes on, but no socks. Fellas, it's time to stop. The women hadn't told y'all for one reason or another, so they felt I should convey the message. I should relay the message. It's time to put on some socks. They've had enough naked ankle action for a lifetime put some dress socks on with your attire and tell your woman to take them damn snow boots off and what we not gonna do 
is let the other person we're supposed to be co-parenting with become a deadbeat. You know your child got stuff going on. You know I'm the one paying for everything. So listen, you don't make me have to ask you to contribute to your child's needs. Because what you're going to do is you're going to mess around and let too much time slip by. You will look up. Your child is older and you're wondering what happened to all this time you felt you had to make things right. It's We only ever have the present moment. You think I'm lying? When was there ever a time that it wasn't the present moment when it happened? Every moment is the present moment. The future is the present moment. Because the future won't come as the future. When the future comes, it'll be the present moment. So I would advise you to stop letting silly shit knock you off your square and do what you're supposed to do before you run out of time. Daddies be daddies. Mamas be mamas. Because it's all about the child anyway. That's it. That's all. Smoke break. Welcome back and welcome to... A revealing segment I call the sapiosexual session. This is a space where a thought-provoking question is asked and we explore it. Some of you may be wondering, what's a sapiosexual, Massa? A sapiosexual is a person who finds intelligence enchanting, captivating, or attractive. So for my fellas, this is an opportunity for you and your woman to still a few moments and reflect on what it is that you really want, not from someone, from life. What do you want from living, from being alive? Because when you know what it is that you want, then you're better equipped to relate to your partner, to your beloved. And so with that, today's question is, what makes you attracted to a person? Physically, intellectually, emotionally, and of course, spiritually. What makes you attracted to someone? So for myself, let me begin with emotionally. I gravitate toward a woman who is emotionally available. A woman who understands that when one wants something or desires something, one can make the time for it because if you're dealing with someone and they can't find the time for you, that means they are not emotionally available to you. That means their emotions are not involved in your situation ship. So then to be emotionally available means that you are also willing to give that person your presence, which means the face to face, the quality time. And then also, it is emotionally attractive for me, to me, for a woman to be drama-free. I don't think that's too much to ask. I mean, I know social media, reality shows, you know, I know the music of this generation has everybody lit-lit, but it's okay to be chill. It's okay to be relaxed. And I mean that emotionally, because we, we know people. We know people. We see them every day. We may be in relationships with them right now. But they're emotionally chaotic. They're not emotionally organized. They're moody. They switch up on you. I speak from experience because I'm a Gemini. So this is one of the challenges of my life. You know, they say Geminis have the tendency to be one way one moment. And then you look up and they've switched up on you. 
don't know how true that is. I just, I just know life happens to all of us. You know what I'm saying? So one moment I may want to turn up with you, but my, I don't know my personally, my energy sensitive, so I can turn up with you, but I then need to, you know, charge my battery because emotionally I love stability. I love consistency emotionally. That's how I vibe. That's my vibe. That's my way. That's how I get down. Let's go to physically. Now, I just want to go ahead and get this out there. <clears throat> Ladies, y'all got to understand. Fellas, I know y'all going y'all gonna to feel this too, although there may be some of you who don't really care either way. But I just put that out there, put this out there. Well, let me preface it this way. Women, we know that y'all are not out here checking for short men, men under four feet, right? They don't like to be called the M word anymore. So, you know, the, the short, short people, uh, women, y'all not out here checking for them. guys. Y'all, y'all not out here checking for, you know, short women, because it's one of your preferences. Ladies, you, you want somebody you can look up into their eyes. You know, guys, you want something you want, you, you want enough to hold on to. You want something you can wrap your arms around. You want something life size. No disrespect. So my preference is physically speaking. My woman has to have pretty feet. I'm sorry. That's that's just me. The same ladies, the same way you some of you prefer men with straight teeth, a pretty smile, men who have have, you know, well groomed hands and fingernails and stuff like that. I like to be able to not recoil when my woman puts her feet feet up in my lap, you know? If she wants her feet rubbed. I like to be able to know I'm comfortable with that. That's just me. We don't get too all off in that. All right. I also find attractive a woman who's well proportioned. You know, she's she has her curves in all the right places type of thing. You know, when you go to squeeze on what's back there, you get a handful. You know what I'm talking about? She has to be a good kisser. They can't be walking around here with chapped lips. You know, it ain't too much to have a mint on you at all times. You never know when your man want to kiss. Physically speaking, one of my love languages is physical touch. So she has to be affectionate. She has to be touchy-feely. She has to have a little bit of goofiness to her. She has to be able to laugh at silly shit. She has to be able to hold conversations with me about things from the simplest of concepts to the most complex of ideas. She has to be somebody that, you know, they say, you you know, you want you a nice drinking partner. You know, she has to be able to take smoke breaks with me. And I don't smoke cigarettes. She has to have a wavy style. She has to be a whole vibe. You know what I'm talking about? She has to be confident in who she is. Physically speaking, she has to be nostalgic. She has to make me feel like I've known her before. Nah, I take that back. She don't have to make me feel that way. But it is beautiful. It is nice when you meet someone and you feel like you've known them before. And that feeling comes from their physical presence. You know, you look at them or you look into their eyes and it feels like you've known that person before. That's the physical connection that I'm speaking of. Intellectually, having an open mind is very attractive to me. Being able to have a conversation with someone and listen to what they have to say and not necessarily feel like you have to take on the habits of their beliefs now being able to say i hear you and now here's what i think 
I think that is very commendable. I think that is very charming. Intellectually speaking, I love bookstores. So I think it's, you know, I think it's cute when my woman enjoys going to the bookstores with me. You know, I think it's nice when she can appreciate my love for reading and talking about all types of stuff. You know, intellectually speaking, I think it is also attractive when a woman can express herself confidently and still be humble enough. I take that back and still show enough humility when she stands corrected. You feel me? And of course, spiritually, there is nothing more attractive than a spiritual woman. I don't care what you believe in, but when you are in tune spiritually and it is free from any religious dogma or religious doctrine and you just wavy on a spiritual tip to where you are only focused on getting in line and getting aligned with the one true creator, with the universal creator, with the all, the infinite, what the Bamalike call entity, it's N-S-I. I find that hella sexy. I think, spiritually speaking, whatever you into, if you do it with passion, there is nothing more desirable than that. And I'm not talking about being zealous with it. Because, you know, everything is about the Ma'atikrasi. Everything is about the seven principles of Ma'at. Truth, order, justice, correctness, reciprocity, harmony, and balance. Everything is about balance. You can't go too far with it. But you got to give them enough. And a woman who can balance her spirituality with her emotional connection to life and bring in her intellectual prowess and put the icing on the cake that is her physical representation, her physical incarnation. All that is what attracts me to a woman. Being able to combine all four of those ingredients and bring forth an amazing, delicious dish that is her. All right, y'all got me all sentimental and whatnot. Let me get on out of here and get to a smoke break. I'll holler at y'all in a minute. This episode is brought to you by Baku Olorun's Dovetail Gypsy Skin an inspirational, provocative, and rich body of poetic prose. This collection offers numbing narratives, mindful moments, and sensational sentiments. Dovetail Gypsy Skin gives voice to the way we love each other, the way we see ourselves, the way we deal with loss, the ways we are affected by societal issues, all of which combine to form vivid depictions of life as seen through the eyes of the storyteller. Dovetail Gypsy Skin. Available on Amazon. Get your copy today. All right, let's keep the main thing the main thing. It's time to get serious about getting serious. As this is the first episode of a podcast that I created, all in hopes of sharing my time, my energy, and my thoughts with you and having you reciprocate the gesture, it is only fitting that this episode be dedicated to one of the greatest examples of honest conversation and on topics that were uncomfortable then, as they are now. But it is time to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. The iconic 1971 conversation between James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni. It aired on an episode of Soul. The conversation was, in fact, as the host claimed, warm, rich, and human. I can only do my best to use this platform to try to achieve the genuine sharing of thoughts 
and compelling back and forths which were on display between Giovanni and Baldwin. I have long held the belief that there are few things as satisfying and healing to the soul as real conversation between curious minds and open hearts. You can find this conversation on YouTube. Simply search James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni and it'll pull right up for you. James Baldwin is the author of Go Tell It on the Mountain, Notes of a Native Son, Another Country, The Fire Next Time, my personal favorite, A Blues for Mr. Charlie, as well as If Bill Street Could Talk, along with many more books and plays. Baldwin was born on August 2nd, 1924, and joined the Ancestors December 1st, 1987. Reports indicate that he had suffered from stomach cancer. He was raised in Harlem. He moved to France in 1947 and came back to the States around the late 1950s to do his part in the civil rights movement. His memory, that of one of the finest minds and one of the greatest orators, lives and endures to this day, to this hour. Nikki Giovanni is the author of A Good Cry, Cotton Candy on a Rainy Day, Women and the Men, Gemini, Those Who Ride the Night Winds, as well as And My House. She was born in Knoxville, Tennessee on June 7, 1949. Shout out to the Gemini. She is one of the world's most well-known black poets, writers, commentators, activists, and educators. Giovanni gained initial fame in the 1960s as one of the foremost authors of the black arts movement, influenced by the civil rights movement and the black power movement of the period. Her early work provides a strong militant black perspective, leading many writers to dub her as the poet of the black revolution. In my study of this conversation between James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni, and in full disclosure, full transparency, all honesty, and in truth, I've listened to this conversation more times than I can count. If I had to guess, I've probably listened to this particular conversation about 45 times. I first heard it in 2016, and I've listened to it at least 10 times a year since. But the conversation exudes intimacy. What I get from the conversation is a deep longing to understand the other. It is really the epitome of t intelligent conversation. But the striking element of this dialogue is that the only time their voices are raised is when they're laughing. So these two people were party to a talk and neither ever raised their voice above normal speaking level. The conversation carried also an unwritten etiquette of respect and attentiveness, both Speakers, both prominent black figures, warmly concerned at all times with mutual understanding, even if they were in disagreement. Now, we know conversation doesn't go like that. Now, if you engage in a conversation with someone and they disagree with you, do you find that they remain attentive or do they get standoffish? Do, do they remain eagerly interested or do they kind of back out the conversation as if I don't have time to entertain this from you. Nonetheless, the exchange on display between Nikki and James 
is the quintessential manner to which a conversation must be had in order to go deeper into the meaningfulness of it all. And that is because Nikki nor James made any statement in a fixed declarative way. Neither of them ever offered a statement to which they said it was non-negotiable. You know what I'm saying? Neither one ever said, this is the way it is, and that's it, period. They asked questions. They posed questions. They presumed questions to be, and that making a question the center of the conversation is how you keep your mind open to what the other person has to say. If you make every single conversation about a question of, is that so, then you make it to where both people in the conversation or all parties in the conversation feel heard. Now, I want to unpack some things that if you pay close attention, they will jump off the conversation table at you. Around the 7 minute 40 second mark, James makes a profound observation. He says that what the world does to you, if it does it to you long enough, you will begin to do it to yourself. Let that sink in. This is true on so many levels. We've been fed constantly, for example, that the black man and woman can't stay together, that we don't raise our children properly anymore, or that we don't raise our children like the generations before us raised theirs. Even more, we're fed these stereotypes that we are nothing more than savages, that we will kill ourselves and each other for no reason at all. And so a holistic question is, is that true? I asked, does it seem that we have been fed these stereotypes and, homo and homogenized images of us for so long that we now willingly carry out our own demise? I ask, is morality dead in our culture? What exactly do we stand for? What exactly do you stand for? What are, what are you leaving behind for your child? Because Baldwin seemed ever preoccupied with the stability of future generations, always pointing to how present action and the lack of action, that inaction, that inertia will impact your kid and your kid's kid. When Baldwin gets reflective, his first eye always sees that kid who's going to be here when we grownups are gone. So then I emphasize it once more. It's about the children. The children must receive something from us. That something that was, after all, given to us. Now, he and Nikki never explain in literal terms what that something is, but I consider it to be the game. We were all given the game growing up and the game is what we have to give our children but also liberate them from it that means we must give them the tools we must let them know what to look out for we must give them the heads up and at the same time let them know that life is deeper than the things they will go through so that the tools are not the end all and be alls but just keys because life is full of doors so we have to give them this game and let them know that they are still the master of their destiny. The game is just something you're going to have to play on the road to get into where you're trying to get to. So that's why us grownups must be the facilitators to our children to get them to where they need to get to. And this is an urgent matter because we know that being taught anything about history in American schools, if you're black, 
and not being properly educated on who you are in history is the same as going to med school and not being taught about what the, what a stethoscope is. It's the same as going to automotive school and not learning how to change oil. The education of your child happens at home, though. School is for socialization. If you depend solely on school to teach your baby, you are failing your child. Baldwin goes on to explain the very danger of allowing other people's experiences to influence your identity, the way you relate to the world and others. An important question we must always ask. Therefore, an important question I ask you, are you being who you really are? Social media has created a savage hive mind, a hive mind where toxicity has overwhelmed the majority of online activity. And that has influenced human behavior for real, for real. Shorter attention span, mental wellness issues, clout chasing. But hey, I'll get into how social media has impacted the culture in another pod at another time. Because it's deep. But Baldwin offers a gem. He tells us we're not obliged to take on other people's definitions, though. Just because white people say they're white, we're not obliged to believe it. Just because the Pope says he's Christian, we're not obliged to believe it. He demands that we make our own definitions. Another very important question. Where are we in that process? Do you make your own definitions? Do you create your own standards of identity? Or do you go by whatever society is telling you you should be, you should do, you should wear, how you should look, how you should relate to yourself, others, and the world? Where are we in that process? Another point that Baldwin makes is that when you erode a man's sexuality, you destroy his possibility to love anyone. He says that though sex and love are not the same thing, if a man's sexuality is ruined, then his hope of loving is gone. Giovanni responds by saying that, yes, the man then has limited ways of expressing his love, to which James eloquently responds, yes. He has no floor on which to dance, no way to get from one day to the next. So I ask, how do we view manhood? How do we view sexuality? How do we view womanhood today? Back to what we said with creating definitions. What is your definition of manhood, of womanhood, of sexuality? Are they holistic definitions? James says that in society, your manhood is being destroyed day by day. Your woman is watching it being destroyed. She's watching it. You're watching her watch it. Seeing Nikki's face and knowing she's in deep reflection as Baldwin explains how the love between two people can be slowly destroyed, especially under the pressure in which black people live, and there seems to be nothing anyone can do about it. It leaves you speechless. When you see Nikki's response in her facial and body language, when, when James is breaking all of this down, you're left the same way. You're left feeling like, my God, the truth settles. And when it settles, it's so intense. Nikki tells us further in the conversation that it takes two people to have a relationship. 
and a relationship is all that works in the world. She advises you to fake it if you don't have a dream or if the relationship isn't going well. If you're going to fake in front, then fake in front on that level. Fake having a dream until you get one. Go through the motions of a relationship until it works out. Just don't give up. So I ask, are we lovable? Black men and women can be some of the most standoffish, aggressive, and suspicious people when relating to one another. When I look at black relationships this hour, I question, are we lovable? Because I love you, I get the least of you. Fake it with me. You fake it with everybody else all day. You fake it with those white folks at your job. Fake it with me, too. If it means I can have you here with me, that's what Nikki says. Man, this shit deep. Another important question. Because shit, all these questions important. Can you love someone and lie to them? If you love someone, can you lie to them? Think about that. Really think about that. Can you be truthful at home to your beloved if you lie to everyone else? If you smile at folks all day at work, in the streets, at the store, why can't you smile at your beloved when you get home? Why is it that you take your frustrations out on the one closest to you? Why is it that the one who loves you the most gets the very least of you? Is it even a human possibility to cold switch all day on the job, managing your blackness, fake smile and fake laughing, all the 10,000 things one must do to get through the day, then come home and not let it all out, not vent, not purge the cognitive dissonance? The heart of the matter, it lies somewhere in there, doesn't it? Many people, but whites in particular, don't understand why black people smile and grin at work. It's not because we want to. Though we are pleasant by nature, it's because the children got to eat, bills got to be paid, food got to be on the table. But I'll talk about cold switching later too. But even during the disagreements between Nikki and James, because they, they disagree. They disagree on, on, on certain points. But even in those disagreements, they smile at each other as if they're playing a game of chess. They smile at each other with a type of childlike energy as if saying, oh, Okay. Okay, I got you. I got you. And it's so pleasant and delightful to watch and to listen to. But James says, until they can tell me about the people whose back this country's wealth was acquired on, they can't tell me anything about me and less about you. I say, though, you know, when I'm when I hear this, I add that this is also true for ignorant black folks. You know? Those who willingly stay ignorant, those who in the face of knowledge turn away and dig in deeper to the notion that they have no history. They've become collaborators in their own destruction. They've become accessories to their own murder, their own cultural murder. And I, too, agree with Nikki when she is amazed at how gullible people are, how they tend to go for anything and fall for anything that becomes a fad. And once more, this is the hive mind. And ultimately, why do people feel the need to be better than someone else? This is something that Nikki asks. She says she really doesn't understand why people have to look at other people, compare themselves and feel the need to be better than that person. I answer Nikki by saying we lack compassion. We lack uniqueness. And we lack a tremendous amount of love. This is why everything's a competition now. But let's take a step back and look at the conversation on the macro level so that we 
can determine what makes a deep conversation possible? Well, relating. Relating means you must have an open mind and an open, open heart to the other person so that you can receive what it is they're trying to put down so that when you hear them knocking, you can open the door. Engaging others through the movement of eyes, hands, and body language. The manner in which Baldwin talks with strong yet subtle facial changes, raised eyebrows, sitting on the edge of his seat, all of which express his desire to listen to what you have to say too. All of this leaves one wanting to be in his presence to pick his brain or have him pick yours. It all rendered me with the nostalgic feeling of my childhood, watching my mama converse with her friend girls, as she called them. At the 31 minute, 10 second mark, James says that love comes once you're matured. A kid loves you because he needs you. But later on, as a man or woman, it is much more reciprocal. You love someone because you need each other. My interpretation of this is that this is not only true of children, but also of those grown-ups who have yet to mature. They love you because they need you, which is not love at all, but infatuation, a temporary moment of desire, which because it is not love, it soon fades and reveals itself to be just that. Infatuation. I wanted you for right now. I wanted you for right then. And still another topic that Nikki and James runs with is that we have black men and women in government office and it means nothing. You can't tell a black man by the color of his skin. Nikki tells us that she doesn't even care who's in office because it's still somebody trying to run her life. And that's really what all these movements and ideologies do anyway. They serve as instruction for what you should be doing, how you should be thinking. And a great dilemma is the conundrum that one mustn't be a missionary trying to save the country from this type of dilemma. But we have paid too much with our blood, sweat, and tears to abandon it, though. So what do you do? Well, it's about not trying to save all black people. Because first, some black people don't even want to be saved. And second... I don't have an affinity for all black people anyway. Just like there are racist and evil white folks, there are no good low down black folks who will do you worse than a white person. And finally, I know plenty of black people, but they're not black like me. You understand what I'm saying? James Baldwin is an absolute treasure to me. He is without escape one of the greatest orators, speech makers, teachers, conversationalists, writers, authors that ever lived period. Anything he talks about, he does it as if it is the most important thing there is to speak of. And that's what makes the overall value of this conversation beautiful. It's a deep conversation that results in the one listening, discovering intimate and private details about the one speaking, but also the one speaking when the exchange is of equal affection and the attention is unaffected. The one doing the speaking discovers a great deal about themselves. That's the real thing. That's what makes conversation deep. When in the conversation, as you're speaking, an aha moment hits you and you discover something about yourself. Now we're getting serious about getting serious. Now we're keeping the main thing the main thing. James moves on 
to posit that the world divides between those who are daring and those who are not. Now, I want to pause right here and, and make mention that in any conversation, when things start to get philosophical and you start to think about the what's and the why's of the world and of man and of human mind and of psychology and of morality and of ideology, when you start to get into the nooks and crannies of why people are the way they are in relation to each other, then you do understand why the world does divide between those who are daring and those who are not. Because daring involves the things you must do in order to not only survive, but thrive. And that will bring out many experiences in life. And in those experiences, you find lessons. And in learning those lessons, you find wisdom. And that's how all of this is connected. Because a deep, dope, beautiful, meaningful dialogue and conversation, it pushes you deeper into the meaning of existence, the meaning of life the conscientious subjugation, the ontological consciousness. Before we depart the topic of James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni in conversation, I want to touch real quickly on a subject matter that was of interest then, the same way it's of, of interest now, and that is the complexion of Christ. The way they talk about sensitive subjects and couch their points in coded common sense was brilliant. Baldwin mentions how black folks Debo Jesus away from white folks He says that somehow inside of us We always knew Jesus Jesus was black And here's the code He says because Swedes don't come from Israel Which is to say that the lily white version of Jesus Society portrays in media Isn't representative of anyone That could have come from northeast Africa And of course anyone coming from Israel Which was in northeast Africa had to be well melanated. James says the Christian legend goes against nature. It illustrates the white man's fear of life coming from the woman. Because yes, the white man fears his woman. The black man is the man that made his woman a goddess. The black man is the one that depicts Queen Nefertiti beside King Akhenaten. That depicts Aset beside Asar and their son Haru. The black man is the man that allowed for there to be a queen Hatshepsut. Look up all these beautiful queens, these African queens. Their stories will blow your mind. But our ancestors knew that life came from the waters of the feminine divine, or who we call Noon. And James says that when you question the legend of the birth of Jesus, you're attacked for being blasphemous when the legend itself is blasphemous. He asked what is the problem with a woman and a man as nature intended making love to each other and conceiving naturally? Why does the supposed child of God have to be born immaculately? Aren't we all the children of God? But they end with saying God is our responsibility. If we don't make it, God ain't going to make it either. And that is true. Spirituality is our responsibility because the children of Africa gave the world spirituality. This is not about emotion. This is not about superiority. This is not about manipulation of anything. This is about historical fact. 
and historical fact tells us that all of the world's major religions comes out of African spirituality. Christianity came out of Africa when it wasn't even called Christianity. Judaism came out of Africa before it was called Judaism. And Islam is a composite and a combination of both. So then we know society operates on religion, on dogma, on doctrine, on doing what a middleman between you and God tells you to do. But we must operate on spirituality, on carrying yourself based on your own personal relationship with spirit. We see what religion has done. We see war, persecution, the Ma'afa, which is the African Holocaust, in addition to the Jewish Holocaust, the breakdown of the nuclear family, and young people have always known religion was the op. Having preachers who foul as hell tell you what you need to do when we know he not living right, it sets up cognitive dissonance. Having folks leave out the whys and the hows and the true identity and color of the characters in the Bible and in these religious myths always seem as if I was being deceived. You understand what I'm saying? So let me get to this before I end. I want to say that the conversation between James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni, it assures you that in order to have an intimate dialogue or meaningful conversation, you only need to use your own experiences, your own life to draw talking points from. We often think conversation is about proving we're smarter than the other person, or at least that we're smart enough to be in the conversation. We think our little life isn't worth bringing into the conversation, but that's where you're wrong. Your life writes your script. Man, listen, so many comedians testify that their com comedy shows was lacking until they decide to just start using their own lives as the material for their own shows. And voila, their shows and their brand of comedy took off. This is the same in conversation. It's about, well, it's not about trying to be someone else or trying to appear bigger and better than you believe you actually are. It is about appearing as you are because the uniqueness, the intrigue, and the interest lies there in who you are naturally. There is a genuine and mutual respect on display between Nikki and James. She listens to him with the respect due an elder, and he listens to her with the compassion and desire to reassure due a young adult seeking guidance. And this leads us to the last point. Forget those who don't want the message. You talk to those who can hear you, and you save what you can save, says James. What one must do is make it possible for others to live. That's the only reason to be here. And that's what conversation deep conversation is it's a exchange of words and ideas and thoughts between you and another person and by the end of the conversation hopefully hopefully you have made it easier for that person to live and vice versa so i advise you i admonish you i encourage you i suggest to you open your hearts open your minds have deep conversations that challenge your current beliefs let other people's ideas knock you out of this little box you've put yourself in. Because for many of us, the last time we had open minds, we were children. We were eager to learn about whatever. We were eager to talk to people about whatever. But like the old saying goes, we're born fine. And then the world tries to define us. And we have to 
refine ourselves. So go ahead and start to refine yourself. Start to let the definitions that you've allowed society to place on you fall by the wayside. All the myths, all the things that don't resonate with you, throw them into the trash can of history. But let's create the space for the divine to enter the conversation through us. Let the other person see God in the conversation. I'll holler at y'all in a little bit. This episode is brought to you by Baku Olorun's Omerta Black Voodoo, a novel about love, loyalty, and legacy. Jacob Playaway is an unabashed writer who tells the truth about the history of his people. And for it, he has to evade the structure's insubordinate agitator stamp, which would mark him as a dead man. It just so happens that he is also the orchestrator of a cryptic order, an outlaw outfit known as the FAM. He and his brothers belong to something. Everyone has an assignment and no one violates the code. They have a custom of respect, a small nation that furnishes its own doctrine of justice, retribution and shameless pursuits of happiness. While Jacob tries to keep one half of his life in urban legend, if not a complete secret altogether, his other half meets an eccentric voodoo priestess who takes him on an unexpected spiritual journey. Omerta Black Voodoo, available on Amazon. Get your copy today. What's up, everybody? I'm Petey Too Small. That's Petey Too Small. And I was outside with man, so I've been waiting on him to come in here and do my debut. I wanted to get on, on the radio and let people know who I am, because I'm bringing the wine glass grapevine. I got some juicy news and stories that my homeboys and homegirls be sending me from around my way. We get it in. So real quick, but he come back in here, want to talk about all kinds of shit. I want to tell y'all about some rappers I done found out what they get paid to do a feature. So it looks like Future gets paid $250,000 to do a verse. Now this nigga done said he don't even know what he raps about in his own verse. So he needs to start charging $250. Shit. Nicki Minaj, they say she gets $250 to $500. Now, Nicki ain't been hot since 2015. So I'm sorry, girl, but you better go and take this lace front and bottle of alkaline water and go on the hell on. Look, baby. Lil Baby charges 100000 per verse. I fucks with Lil Baby, so Lil Baby can charge whatever he want to charge. The same goes for Kendrick, who they say he charge about 400000 So Ken- Kenny can charge what he wants also. 21 Savage charged about 100000 I don't really know 21 Savage, so y'all have to tell me if that's a good price for him. But J. Cole is the one I want to talk about because he didn't change the motherfucking game. J. Cole charges $2,000 per word. $20,000, no, $2,000 per word. I can say $20,000. you going to have to go ahead, nigga. But $2,000 per word, shit. You better control A and highlight all that shit and run me my money. I like that nigga. So that, that's what I got for the wine glass grapevine today. So if y'all find out anybody else feature price and what they charging for a verse, holler at me. 
ain't got no money right now, so you're gonna have to holler at me on payday. And I'm gonna, because I got an album coming. I got a nice album coming. Yes, it's called, well, shit, it ain't got no, no title right now. But mm, I'm going to use some of this equipment Mansa got in here And I'm going to record a nice album It's going to be on Hulu It's going to be on Hold on, they trying to tell me They don't play albums on Hulu Shit, I used to have cable And they used to have like a hundred of them music channels So they can play my 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 album on, on TV Okay, anyway y'all Let me go on back out here And see if Mansa did Took these jumper cables off my car so I can go ahead and get out of here. Alright, bye. Welcome back to Omerta Black. I want to dive into this next segment. I call it Dirty Little Secrets from the Memory Hole of History. The secrets revealed here are facts about black history, U.S. history, and world history that they, whoever they are, rather you not know anything about. These secrets you can research yourself in books and teachings by authors and educators such as Dr. Claude Anderson, whose teachings and writings many of these secrets come from. Also look up George G.M. James, Dr. Francis Cress Wilson, and Anthony Browder, as well as my own research and experience. But I call this segment Dirty Little Secrets from the Memory Hole of History because the vast majority of history has in fact, been whitewashed for the purpose of social engineering. And the truth about history is what lies in the memory hole. You can also read the classic 1984 by George Orwell and get some more information about the memory hole. And with that said, today's dirty little secret from the memory hole of history is blacks were double victims of the Holocaust. Even though they are never mentioned in public discussions, especially not the media, black people were double victims in the Jewish Holocaust in the late 1930s and early 1940s. First of all, they were victims of Nazi war crimes just like Jews were. Yet, blacks as Holocaust victims, that remains one of the world's best kept secrets in history. They are conspicuously absent from the vast majority of Holocaust movies, museums, commemorations, and financial reparation policies. Though we may not know it over here in the States, black people lived in Germany before and during the Jewish Holocaust. As far back as World War I, many blacks had been recruited into the German army from its African colonies. A personal anecdote. I come from Cameroon. In 1884, when the Berlin Conference happened and white folks got together and decided how they wanted to carve up Africa, Cameroon was given to Germany. All right, follow me. As far back as World War I, many blacks had been recruited into the German army from its African colonies. Other blacks later moved to Germany. Blacks in North Africa and the German colonies were also killed and forced into labor camps to produce war materials and supplies. Nazi Germans hated and perceived blacks to be an inferior race of people. Blacks were arrested, persecuted, and placed in German concentration camps and executed prior to and during World War II. When the Jewish Holocaust began, black Germans were also targets. But unlike the white Jews, Blacks fought hard against the mounting Nazism. For example, a black German named Lottie Giles 
or L-A-R-I-G-I-L-E-S, Laurie Giles was murdered by the Nazi SS police for the role that he played in leading a resistance group in his hometown of Dusseldorf. More than 3 million blacks were registered in the U.S. military during World War II. Blacks served and died as frontline combat soldiers, as pilots, and as other support personnel. But justice and recognition continue to evade those black Germans. The Holocaust accounts have focused on religious rather than racial issues. Blacks died with and for white Jews. Yet, as victims or soldiers, blacks remain an afterthought. Blacks have received none of the more than $52 billion paid to Holocaust victims since the end of World War II. And that has been today's dirty little secret from the memory hole of history. Don't believe a word I say. Research it for yourself thoroughly and let me know what you find. We'll be back. This episode is also brought to you by Baku Olorun's The Resurrection Papers, Truth Rising from the Memory Hole. The Resurrection Papers will open your eyes to the enormous information hidden in the memory hole. Now, what's the memory hole? The vast majority of history has been whitewashed for the purpose of social engineering. And the truth about history is what lies in the memory hole. This book will help you to uncover solutions to many of the problems facing us today and embolden you to take action to define your own reality. Baku Olorun's The Resurrection Papers is available on Amazon. Get your copy right now. Welcome back in. And it is time for my jam of the week. This comes from a group that I am always excited to hear from when they drop. I prefer them better together than the lead singer as a solo artist. And I'm talking about none other than Sonder. I make no secret that I'm a big Brent Fias fan, but I am a huge Sonder fan. Their music is nostalgic. It's creative. It reminds you of Timbaland and Static Major and, and the crew back when they were making music in the in the basement in the in the in the mid nineties. That feel good music. It improves your wave. You know what I'm talking about? That's my jam of the week, Sonder. They have an entire EP. Every song, you know, bang, make me stay is is one of my favorites. You know, Mad Rich is dope. And by the way, no artist and none of their music is associated or sponsors anything on Omerta Black. I'm just a fan of these folks. So y'all check out Sonder. They got a new EP. After you get done with that, check out Brent Fayez. If you don't know that boy, that boy gets down. That boy, that boy, nice. You know what I'm talking about? But um, we'll be back with a message from the ancestors and uh, wrap this show up, man. I appreciate y'all sticking with me this long. Smoke break. Welcome back. Listen, I have thoroughly enjoyed you. For real, for real. It's almost time to get out of here. So every show. I end with wisdom of the ages or something I call a message from the ancestors. In my Bamalike tradition, ancestor reverence is essential to our way of life. We honor and petition for guidance, for strength, for insight, for courage, those who have crossed over to the other life or the Elysian fields. The Bamalike, we believe in life after life. Therefore, the ancestors are very much alive and active and eager to guide those who are willing to listen. So with that said, let all those with ears 
hear, and understand. Today's words of wisdom say, when your vibration is high, you won't need to say anything or convince anyone of anything. Your presence will speak if it needs to, and it will always respond appropriately to the needs of the moment. You don't ever need to know what is coming so long as you rest in the present moment. And there is no need to be afraid. The divine Aminra, Insi, Netar, it will direct your path always and in always. Ashe. What up, family? I am Mensa Baku, and I have a new podcast I would love to share with you. Omerta Black, a weekly show that caters to your craving for real, relatable, and challenging takes on issues and stories and news and culture, especially the culture. Join me each week to talk of eclectic, true and living topics that affect our lives every day. Tune in and discover a source of wonder where you will learn to think for yourself rather than be told what to think. And I make no apologies. Please subscribe to this podcast, Omerta Black, on Spotify, iTunes, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. Coming back, let's put a bow on this thing, man. We did it. First episode in the history books. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for rocking with me. You could have been anywhere else in the world, literally. Please subscribe to this podcast, Omerta Black. It's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. It's pretty much wherever you do your thing. Also, subscribe to my channel on YouTube. Search Mansa Baku. Follow me on IG, Facebook at Mansa Baku. Connect with me for exclusive content, stuff you don't, you can't get anywhere else from me. It's on Patreon, patreon.com backslash Mansabaku. Follow me over on Vero, V-E-R-O dot C-O backslash Mansabaku. And I will see you next Tuesday. As always, don't maintain, make gains. Make gains.